Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine when you opened up that book, it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and so you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions where pastors not only take seriously the biblical text, but they share what they've been underlining and highlighting, all of their notes that help them share the world's most important book and how it's transformed their hearts and how it can transform the hearts of the people you know. This is Season 5, Coming Forth as Gold, a reading of the book of Job. You're about to hear a conversation between John and Tim Borman, twin brothers, both Christian pastors. Tim is a pastor in Queens, New York, and John is a pastor in Aiken, South Carolina. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Here's John and Tim. I remember Jonathan reading a book by Philip Yancey. I don't know if you've ever read read one of his books, but he's a pretty popular Christian author these days. And and one of the books that that he wrote is called Where is God When It Hurts? And and he made some interesting points about about pain and suffering. One of them is interesting like he said not all pain is bad, like we immediately assume that pain is bad. It's not all bad. Like there's, a, there's actually a disease out there. Like if you, uh, for people who don't feel pain and they end up like cutting off fingers and stuff because they just don't know that the knife is just slice their finger like that. So pain yeah, is the nerves it, aren't working. Yeah. Like pain actually kind of wakes you up to the fact that maybe you're touching a hot stove. And so you pull your hand away. So yeah, like pain's not, all bad. And, and I thought, you know, okay, Philip Yancey, that was a good point. The other part of his book that really impacted me was actually the very beginning. And he talks about the cacophony of voices that people can hear when they're suffering. And he, and he has a little anecdote about a woman that he called Claudia, about how different people from her church would go visit her in the hospital. And, and Claudia got literally a, a cacophony of different messages from these people. Like one person dropped by and and was just kind of a cheerleader and brought flowers and prayed with her and sang hymns and then never came back again. But never didn't really have a message for her. Another person came by and said, Claudia, you need to have more faith because faith moved mountains. And if and if you just believed enough, you know, uh, that you'll you'll be healed from Claudia from this cancer that you have. Get that name it and claim it theology yeah. rolling, right? And yeah. Another person swung swung by and and literally like was channeling uh Eliphaz a little bit and said, Claudia, you must have sinned. <laughs> and uh Repent. you gotta <laughs> you gotta like get that sin out of your life so you can you can start living better and God can take this cancer away. Uh, Another person dropped by and said, Claudia, God's given you an incredible mission here to be a witness to his saving power and love and, and to your own Christian faith. And and so, you know, take that mission head on and 
and meet it and and keep believing under these difficult circumstances and, and so like people keep kept coming to cloudy and giving her a different message and so when philip yancey showed up she was a little bit confused so you can <laughs> you can you can see the point though right that philip yeah he's trying no, to make no right i heard a story there was a there was a pretty neat piece that was going around the internet it wasn't all that long ago there was a christian woman in her 30s um, who was dying of cancer. It was, it was mortal for her. And she described, she was she wrote about her experience. She's now with the Lord. But uh, she described how one of her neighbors came to the door and was talking to her husband and, you know, gave a flippant comment. And we do this all the time. And, I, you know, I'll lump myself in here, right? Like, um God must have a reason, this neighbor said, <laughs> this friendly neighbor. Um, you know, compassionate, well-meaning. And the husband looked at her back and said, what is it? Yeah. I, and the question, I can't even and the laugh question hangs it's, there. It's, yeah, it's so, that's, yeah, that's what's hanging in front of us today. Yeah. What does it look like to be a friend, you know? What, what do you say? What do you not say? I think one observation we can make is that we're all tempted to talk about suffering. There's one, this is, this is an observation we're going to make again in this podcast. But the one thing that Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar never do is actually talk about God. And who he is. <laughs> oh, they, man. <laughs> they, they try to talk about, now we're getting ahead of ourselves. But l- listen to this. This is a really important thing. This is something Job really wants us to know about. This is the end of J- Job chapter 2. And there's this question that's hanging in front of us, right? Job is in suffering. Now his wife has abandoned uh, him. And the question is, how, what role are the friends going to play in Job's uh Job's life. And and this is a question for all of us, right? When we're in suffering, friends are going to do one of two things to us. They will either make it worse or they will make it better. And there is really no in between. And actually, we're going to we're going to come to the end of Job chapter two, and we're not going to quite be sure quite yet how these friends are, are going to perform as friends. Um, but before we talk more about that, let me read it. This is what it says. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. It's a nice, uh, quick little section um, about Job's friends. Uh, Timothy, what do you have to say about it? How'd they do? Well, you know, I wanted to maybe just back up a second, just talk about, you know, who are these guys? These He's got three good friends, and they're really good friends. Like, they're there for him. There's a whole lot of people that weren't. And 
we talked about Job's wife last time. But these guys, they set everything aside. Their lives must have been kind of busy. And, and they just were like, we need to go and be there for Job. So um, Eliphaz, he's this guy from Timon, apparently. <laughs> and we, we, could say, we could say more about him. But basically, he's coming from a place full of wisdom. It's known for wisdom. You can look at uh, Jeremiah 49, 7, and 8 if you want to know more about that. And and he seems he's to be... He's from Edom. Right. He's from Edom. And he seems to be like the lead friend. Like, is it, well, I guess we'll talk more about their messages as we go further into the book. But he seems to be like the spokesman for the for the friends. and He's the leadoff batter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, and, and Bildad, he, he's a Shuite, so he comes from Shui. He, he, it seems like he's a descendant of Abraham through uh, Abraham's wife, Keturah. And and then uh, Zophar. And we'll characterize these guys a little bit later, but um, these guys are close to the patriarchs. They knew the Lord, and, they're, and uh, purportedly they're full of wisdom, and they love Job. That's what we know about him. Yeah, yeah Eliphaz... We mentioned this before in the podcast, but he's Esau's grandson. You know, he so you, you just think about his lineage and and how close he would have been to the patriarchs there, and has a relationship with the Lord. That's right. And so there, they met together. It says, and they discussed. They must have heard about Job's situation, and it, it's their big plan to sympathize with him to sympathize with him that's that's the word and we do this right we do this like um when somebody has some kind of complaint you know whether it maybe it's a health complaint or it's a work complaint like so and so did this and so what is it what do you do what do you say jonathan when you're sympathizing with someone <laughs> yeah I- you can see it in the English no. world, like you, you reflect yeah. it back and say, "Oh, even if you like, you might be thinking you suffer yourself, with like, them." Yeah, yeah. Like even if you, you think they're wrong them. or they should pull back a little bit, you're like, "Oh, that's that's too bad," you know. That's <laughs> yeah, and and but there isn't a rebuke. Say... There's usually not a rebuke involved when you're sympathizing with someone. No, that's right, and. Uh, one thing too, this is just for the modern mind. A lot of times people these days will make a distinction between empathy and sympathy. They'll talk about uh, empathy is one step better. That's that's a modern distinction. Uh, nobody, nobody distinguished between empathy and sympathy back then. Um, and so don't, the, these people are, they're in Job suffering with him as much as, much as they're uh, suffering with him and you can tell because i mean look at what they do they're weeping they're tearing their clothes they're sprinkling dust on their heads um they're really call it sympathy call it empathy call it whatever you want to call it these guys are there with him they are all the way in it with him you know this isn't just this isn't just a hallmark card you know i'm so sorry about the deaths in your family um this isn't just showing up at a funeral and giving a hug and I'm so sorry. I mean, these guys sat with him for a week, day and night, 
Seven days, like a full time, a full time. He they were there with them. Yeah, uh, it's, it's 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 an incredible thing. It really is. So I wanna I wanna push on you a little bit. Like, do you? Because because some commentators will say this. I can't believe that they could sit there seven days and seven nights without saying one word. And what kind of friend, like, actually, like, they kind of think it's like a negative thing that they had no words of comfort for Job. They just, they just sat there. Other commentators are like, well, I mean, they, there, sometimes there are no words in a situation. And the better thing to do is to, to sit there with the friend like where are you at on that continuum uh well look that we've talked about this here we are we're in hebrew narrative hebrew narrative you have to read it very carefully and sometimes it leaves it ambiguous for us i will tell you in verse 13 it says no one said a word to him and you got to think okay no one said a word to him why not um and you get a rationale for that next and the rationale is not because um, they were terrible friends or because there's no moral judgment here at all. Um, in fact, what it says is because, why didn't they speak to him? Because they saw. They were actually perceiving the enormity of Job's suffering. They actually saw him and were taking it all the way in. And at some level, they didn't feel comfortable speaking into it yet. And so they felt that it was best for them at this point to not say anything. Now, okay, what, what do we say about that, right? Like, that's really what you're asking. Can we affirm their behavior um, or not? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think at one level we have to look at it and say and ask the question, is there such a thing as a ministry of presence? Is there such a thing as holding somebody's hand when they're in pain and saying, I'm with you? Does that speak even as you're not speaking? Um, well, yeah, I think it does. Uh, yeah, it, and I, I, I want to say a lot about that, actually. You sparked something in me. Like, do you Skype in when your mom's sick in the hospital? You know, and or... <laughs> If if somebody that you love is dying, no, are you, you go. Gonna, are you going right. to FaceTime them? Um, that's a little bit of a rant against technology because we still know deep, deep down inside that a ministry of presence is powerful and effective and necessary when somebody's suffering. So there's so there's that. You know, people talk today. You people, have to hop on a plane sometimes. Yeah. People talk today sometimes about a spirit, you know, a spirituality of presence. You know, that's a big word. You can agree or disagree about it, but what they're trying to say is, we need to make room uh, to listen and and to feel and understand where a person is coming from. Whether or not you need seven days, that's maybe the argument. Um, but maybe you shouldn't have your, so to say, verbal gun loaded when you go to visit somebody who's in tremendous suffering? At, at the very least, at the very least, I think what we can say is 
when when somebody is suffering, all of us have this great, great inclination to say something, anything. And which is why we dig ourselves verbal holes and we shoot yeah, ourselves the, in the foot. The silence is like deafening in those it's kinds of deafening. Stuff. We can't take it. And and if we learn anything from these three friends, it's that the the minute you want to say something is the minute you should probably rethink it. Like at least step back and rethink, really rethink it. Is this the right time? Are these the right words? Is this the right messaging? Um, it, this at least makes you slow down and think about that. I, I mean, so what I'm trying to do is affirm them. Uh, maybe we can we can ask some different questions in a second, but at least we should affirm them and say like, these, these guys hopped on a plane. I mean, not literally, but they hopped, they, they went to considerable travel expense and time to be there with him. They took initiative and, and they showed up and it wasn't, you know, you know how this is like when somebody's, somebody's in pain and, and, and somebody will say, uh, call, you know, just call me if you need anything, please don't do that to a sufferer. Call them, you know, uh, <laughs> call them. Well, maybe what we're Take saying it. is like, show up, you know, in their yeah, lives. Show, actually, <laughs> at, like in, in person. Yeah. You know, not mediated through a, a card or, or Facebook or like show up. Uh, it's, it's a big deal. And, and share their pain. Um, isn't that a very Christ-like thing to do? Yeah, and and you know, but you know, we could look at this biblically too. That Job, Job's friends aren't the only ones who sat in the dust for for seven days with with sufferers. Um, Daniel did that with the exiles. That's right. And so, I think we have to be careful to say that they were wrong to to silently endure. And to clap their hands over their mouth at seeing how great Job's suffering really was. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think and any uncomfortability we have with that is because we love people and we want to make sure in their suffering that we can align them with the truth, right? And with God's truth. And so, and there's a time and a place for everything. Um, and I think approaching that with wisdom and caution, especially when somebody's just had tragedy, um, is really, really important. You know, I, I have people call me um, and they say, Some, somebody's in pain, what should I do? And the first thing I always tell them is, listen, go and have a listening, open heart and find out what happened and what they're feeling and how they're reacting and listen. Uh, listening is a profound act of love. Um, yeah, think about that. Uh, right? Yeah, and then and then and then once having had listened, you'll be able to name the presence of God in their life and be able to bring to them a word, a biblical, Christ-centered word that's appropriate to what they're going through. Yeah, which is different. Again, this is different than speculation. I think I know what your suffering means. You've been bad or uh, God's teaching you a lesson or all of that is is speculation. Uh, naming God and, and Christ in a person's life is different than speculating about 
what you may or may not know about the hidden purpose of the suffering. Now, he, he, uh, before we were done with this little word from Job, I, I just want to kind of step back from it for a second and think about this. Um, how cool is it that Job's got three friends <laughs> for his That's time of need? You know, I. You know, studies say this that most people don't even have three close friends. You know that the friends studies are just amazing. Like we're so connected this these days, but really not connected at all. And well, it, we, you know, we could, we could ask ourselves, you know, and we could ask anyone who's listening, like name your close friends. How many do you have? And who, well, and who, who would be there for you? You know, who, who would, who would be there for you to sit in the dust? Who is it? Well, and mo- move into that a little bit further. And as you think about that, think about if, let's say you don't, you know, let's say we don't. What are the consequences of that? Um, I it, it, think about this for yourself. It's just a cultural observation may or may not be right. Uh, I think sometimes in our culture, we put way too much freight on top of Christian marriage. Look, I love Christian marriage. I'm, I'm the biggest proponent of Christian marriage. But we should not load onto Christian marriage all of the pressure of all the weight of your emotional and spiritual needs. It was never built to carry all that. First of all, Christ, you know, right? We start with our Lord, um, our marriages, but friends. God gives us friends. This is a biblical thing. And we don't want to load on top, or at least, and if, what if we just have one friend? You know, aside from loading up a marriage too much, what if we load up one friend too much? Job's got three. Well, you know, I, there's so much we could say on this topic. I, I wonder if the church is complicit in that. Like, think about how how often does the church address marriage? How often does the church address parenting? And then compare that those precious relationships with the relationship of friendship. How often do we as pastors, you know, talk about our friendships and and deepening friendships? And what are we missing out on if we're not able to say, I I have three true friends. You know, I and I, I suppose we have to understand what a true friend is first. <laughs> friends are one of the greatest gifts from God. Like, who is, like, what is a friend? You know, we could talk about a friend being always there. Uh, A friend loves at all times. A a brother is born for a time of adversity. So somebody who just doesn't quit, you know, who's constant through thick and thin, no matter what you've done. A friend is someone who's careful, you know, someone who reads you, somebody, someone, but it's more than that. You know, a friend is someone who, who has candor with you, who's able to say to you the hard things. Um, this is this is this is a true friend friendship. A friend is someone who can give you counsel, and who who receives your own counsel. So, as you think about those qualities of a friend, um, who are your friends? Because <laughs> somebody somebody said, like, look at your friends, and I'll show you your future. 
and and there there there's something to that. That's that's proverbial in nature. Or think about this. This this is harder to think about. But we we were talking about this. Like, did you know Jesus had friends? He had three of them, right? right? Three. And mm-hmm. I know it bothers me a little bit to think about that. <laughs> 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 Peter, James, and John, and then John. John's got this title, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That that means like Jesus had preferred companions and and he brought them along. You know, like when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, who does he bring along? His friends. There they are. They're there with I mean, they weren't very good friends. <laughs> Friend well, they're, right. fall, they're falling asleep, you know, on the job. They- they end up being a lot like Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they abandoned him. They abandoned him. They abandoned him, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it is a tough time. But uh, look, Timothy, I think this is a very big deal. I, um, I, I think about this because uh, mom and dad named me Jonathan. And who is Jonathan in the Bible except quintessential, the quintessential friend, right? He's, he's the guy. What is a friend then? Uh a friend, if you use Jonathan as a model, is somebody who's willing to sacrifice for you. You know, he's not, Saul, his daddy was the king and he's willing to give up the kingdom. And for his friend, you know, for his friend. And the Bible couldn't be any more clear on this. Like, uh, you know, meditate on Job chapter two, the end of it, but also Pick up, like, for example, 1 Samuel chapter 23 and think about why is it that in that chapter, Saul's hunting to kill David and Saul cannot find, uh, I'm say this carefully, Saul cannot find John, David for the love of God. But Jonathan finds him easily because of the love of God. See, 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 Jonathan was was God sent, and he they shared the Lord, and they, and they shared faith, and you know basically what Jonathan does is is, is he comforts him with God's word, and he strengthens him in the Lord. In in his in, David was alienated, um, he was attacked, he, he was, was he hunted. was suffering, he was hunted. You, you know, was F, this was FBI manhunt, and Jonathan is there with him. Um, Look, I the other look. I'm a, I'm a little bit sensitive to this too. I we have listeners, and maybe we're all flipping through our our um, the different friends we have in our lives. Um, and sometimes I think you can feel a little bit of pressure about that. Like, ooh, do I have enough friends? Am I am I okay? Have, have I have I raised up friends? Have I found friends? Have have do I not have enough friends because I've abandoned friends? Um, there's a lot of questions there. Um, and so the first thing I would say, if you're a listener and you're thinking this through and you're taking this seriously is start with Jesus as a friend. He told us that he's our friend. So you got a friend, you got a friend right now. And Timothy, if you're right, that our friends determine our future. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I am right about that. Especially when we talk about Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So be comforted right away. But maybe, maybe an application of this is, um, Think of, think of the people that you run across in life as potential friends. You know, that's what happened, right? John, let's use Jonathan. Jonathan saw 
David slay Goliath and he, and he saw kinship. I'm, I understand that, that man. He is me. Because Jonathan did that before David ever did. Jonathan was attacking the Philistines before David ever did. And they, they had a deep kinship because they, they were fighting for the kingdom of God. And look for those people in your life, not just people with common affinities. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, we like to play pickleball. That's or like the thing we, down here. Yeah, like we like to go to the same band concert or something. You know, like this is not the friendship we're talking about. Like I'm talking about somebody you see the Lord um, and their love demonstrated in their lives. That's the kind of person you need to look at and say, I need to call them. I need to go out for coffee with them. I need to pray with them. I need to pursue that relationship with them. Or or think you can think about it this way, like because. Because we live in a broken world, we live in a sinful world. Who is it that's going to speak into your life when you're when you're suffering loss? You know who who's that going to be, and who do you want it to be? This isn't just about the good times. Who do you want to have a beer with, or something like that? This, I would say it's primarily about the bad, actually. Yeah. Who who do you want to be speaking into your life? And to me, it it needs to be someone who loves God, who knows the Lord, and who can be that uh, Jonathan to your David. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. Check out our other seasons to hear other people sharing their notes and highlights. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit notablepodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Thanks for listening.